And here we go. Another edition of Jamal About Sports on a Tuesday night, April 17th, 2018. Kicking off the show, the epitome of 80s new wave. Walking in L.A. by missing persons. The uh, lovely Dale Bozio, the lead singer of that group. As always, I'm your host, Jamal Hayden, here on Jamal About Sports. We've got a big show to get to tonight. We've got uh, the Knicks coaching search as they embark on yet another head coach. Um, this will be, uh, let's see, we've had, uh, just had Hornacek, had Woodson before, oh, no, sorry, uh, Derek Fisher before that. Who could forget the, the great reign of Derek Fisher? Uh, Mike Woodson before that, D'Antoni before him. Uh, whew, I don't even who was before D'Antoni. Isaiah, I guess. And Larry Brown was in there. I mean, it's such a mess. Anyway, we'll talk about uh, who the candidates are and who I think should be the top candidates and who I'd, I'd like to see the Knicks hire, although, again, it may not matter. Uh, NBA playoff action. We've had a couple of games in the books already. Uh, all, this, all the series have started. Um, some are further along than others. We'll break down uh, some of those games as well, some of the more interesting contests. And, uh, but we start with Major League Baseball, and specifically my New York Metropolitans. Um, coming off what, I know it's early, but last night's loss, blowing a 6-1 lead with arguably your best or second best pitcher on the mound against your heated rivals, the Washington Nationals, a team that's embarrassed you last year, um, embarrassed you in 2016. The Mets handled them in 15, but uh, prior to that, the Nationals embarrassed them too. I mean, the, the Nationals, other than 2015, have owned the Mets. And yes, it was lovely that the Mets went down to, to, to D.C. Uh, a couple of weeks ago and swept the Nationals over the weekend. Um, had a nice win on Sunday, uh, notwithstanding some of Mickey Calloway's idiotic decisions, and we'll get to him in a bit. But when you have a 6-1 lead against any team, but the Nationals in particular, and again, I get it, it's early, right? We're two weeks into this season. Mets are 12 and 3. So they've played 15 games. We've only got 147 left. So I get it. But when you've got a 6 1 lead and you've got Jake DeGrom on the hill, uh, you got to close that out. Sorry. And he goes seven innings, and you only need to get six outs with a five run lead. Against a Nationals lineup that is good, but remember, is missing Daniel Murphy and Anthony Rendon, two of their better hitters. You know, Bryce Harper is their best player by, by far, but Murphy is pretty good, and Rendon is as well, and Rendon kills the Mets. So that's a big bonus for the Mets that neither of those two guys are playing for the Nats right now. Um, you got to close that out. And here's where I had issue. Now, a lot of people, of course, second-guessed Callaway for taking DeGrom out Right, so he came out for the seventh inning, gave up a leadoff hit, then got the next guy out. Then, after a long, fairly long battle with Trey Turner, who's a good player, and a good at bat by Turner, he got a base hit. 
And then Callaway took him out. 103 pitches. It was a chilly night. But DeGrom was dominating. He gave up a, a home run in the first inning to Bryce Harper, which was a broken bat home run. And when I say broken bat, I don't mean like he cracked the bat. The bat fell off, literally. Like, at the, at, at almost at the handle. It was insane. I've never seen anything like it. But aside from that, DeGrom dominated. 12 strikeouts, 7 innings. He was phenomenal. Now, there's one or two ways here you can go. You can try to have him coax him through the eighth, although with a five-run lead, I don't see why you would do that, particularly when the bullpen up until last night has been good. It's shown a little, it's shown some cracks lately. Wasn't very good Friday night in a game the Mets ultimately ended up winning against the Brewers. Seth Lugo in particular was atrocious. Two winning, six hits, one run. So you can say, hey, Jake, great job. It's still early. You're now the second pitcher to give us seven innings this year. Zach Wheeler being the first last week in Miami. Great job. Five-run lead. Easy peasy. We need six outs. No big deal. You can mix and match if you want. You can bring Lugo in to start the inning. You can bring A.J. Ramos in, who's terrible, by the way, and that's about the only time he should be in is with a five-run lead. You know, it's a game where you probably shouldn't have to use your closer. And instead, he let DeGrom come out for the eighth. Okay. Surprising, again, considering what he's done so far in this small sample size, which is yank starters out way early, right? Once they get to 95 to 100 pitches, they're out. Now, I applaud Callaway for not being so stringent and attached to one way of thinking that he's open to seeing how the game itself is actually going. So I'm not going to kill him for starting, letting DeGrom start the eighth. I'm just surprised that he did. Again, I would have said, hey, Jake, great job. Seven strong innings. Let the bullpen get the last six outs. Now, Nelson Figueroa, who does the post pre- and post-game shows on SNY, he had a big issue with Callaway not letting DeGrom face Howie Kendrick, who he'd struck out three times, and I would tend to agree. I mean, it was still a 6-1 game. Even if he gives up a home run to Howie Kendrick there, right, you still have uh, a 6-4 lead. And now the bases are cleared, and now you can bring in somebody from the bullpen. See, here's my problem with Callaway letting two runners, not letting, but bringing someone in from the bullpen when two guys were on base. These guys in today's baseball are not used to coming in with men on base because everybody pulls their starters in the sixth or after six or seven innings and in some instances even five, these guys are used to starting an inning quote-unquote clean. They're not used to coming in with guys in base. It's not like the old days when I was growing up when you had the true firemen and the closer would pitch three innings or you'd bring them in in a high-pressure situation with guys on base. That doesn't happen anymore, right? You have your seventh, generally speaking, you have your seventh inning guy and he starts the inning. Maybe you have a lefty specialist who might come in with guys on base and pitch to a lefty, like Blevins did last night against Harper. Of course, he couldn't get him out. But for the most part, these guys are not used to coming in with men on base in these high-leverage situations. They're just not. And so I tend to agree with Figueroa on this point. Let DeGrom figure it out himself. Now, I understand it looks bad because the bullpen completely imploded, And up to that point, again, they had been good, although they'd shown a couple of cracks here. 
but they'd been generally very good. Um, it's just a brutal loss. I mean, there's no other way to put it. It had a very Terry Collins-esque feel to it. Some horrendous base running ahead. As Drupal Cabrera, who otherwise had a phenomenal game, hit a two-run homer earlier to give the Mets a 6-1 lead and then hit a double with one out in the ninth to give the Mets some life. And then he gets thrown out trying to, to go to third base on a pitch in the dirt. That was not necessary. You know, it, was, it wasn't a wild pitch because didn't get far enough away from the catcher. I mean, if you're going to go in that situation with the tying run at the plate in the bottom of the ninth inning, you have to be able to essentially walk into third base. That's how safe you have to be. And he realized it. And look, the Mets have been much more aggressive on the base pass. I talked about that last week, and I like that. I'm sorry. It's inexcusable. You can't do it. And he's a 10-year veteran. He should know better. And earlier in the game, we have now, I mean, the Mets' continuation of having the worst third base coach in baseball on their team every year since what? Sam Perlazzo? Was Sam Perlazzo the last good third base coach the Mets had? This Glenn Sherlock, who was a disaster last year, and, and, and again was at it again tonight, uh, last night, getting Conforto gunned out at the plate early in the game when it would have been second and third with, I think, uh, Adrian Gonzalez coming up with one out. And instead he gets Conforto gunned out at the plate. And, you know, Conforto, Conforto were lucky he didn't hurt himself because he tried one of those awkward head-first slides to get around the tag and was called out. So that also cost the Mets. So that, that's what I mean. Bad base running and, and, and bullpen decisions that ended up backfiring spectacularly had a very Terry Collins feel to it last night. But big picture, if you told me in the beginning of the year the Mets were going to be 12-3 and three after 15 games, I would have, of course, said thank you very much. I'll sign right here. It just last night hurt doubly because it's the Nats. Will be very interesting to see how the Mets bounce back tonight. And then, of course, they brought in Hansel Robles. So this is what happened, actually. So he takes DeGrom out. He brings in Seth Lugo to face Howie Kendrick. Again, DeGrom had struck Kendrick out three times. And look, Howie Kendrick's a good professional hitter. I actually would have been happy if the Mets would have signed him in the offseason for depth. He could play the outfield a little bit, mostly a second baseman by trade. But he's turned into a utility man this stage late in his career. Guy could always hit. He's a good player. Solid player. He's a classic guy you have on a good team. So he brings in Seth Lugo to pitch to, to Howie Kendrick. Not only does Seth Lugo walk Howie Kendrick, he walks Howie Kendrick on four pitches, none of which were even remotely close to the strike zone. I'm sorry. Adios, Seth Lugo. That's it for you. No soup for you. I'm done. Bye-bye. Oh, maybe there's a reason why you were a 39th round draft pick. Maybe there's a reason why you had a 6 ERA in AAA. Maybe there's a reason why you wear a terrible number, 67. Because you stink. Sorry. I'm just saying, listen, Lugo is obviously has been, uh, there's, there's a little, that was his tongue-in-cheek. Um... You're not getting rid of Seth Lugo, and he had a really good spring, and he actually earned the fifth spot in the rotation, but then they had some rainouts, and they didn't need him. And he had been a bit of a revelation in the bullpen. Uh, his last two outings have obviously not been good. And look, the one 
cardinal sin of relief pitchers is walking guys. When you walk guys, I mean, they don't call it a free pass for nothing. It's a gift to the other team, particularly when you're trying to come back from a big deficit, like a five-run deficit, because it just keeps the line moving. I mean, he, I'd almost rather him give up a three-run homer there to Kendrick because then at least that clears the bases and the Mets still have a two-run lead. And now you can kind of exhale and take a deep breath and relax and say, okay, now let's go get the rest of these guys. Let's just get the next two outs. Let's give it to Familia clean to start the ninth with a two-run lead, and we're fine. But when you walk guys in the middle of a rally, that's how you keep a rally going. And again, the fact that he wasn't like – Kendrick battled him. He got to 3-2. He fouled off a bunch of tough pitches, and then he just missed with a close pitch. No, four straight balls, none of which were even remotely close to strikes. None of them. wasn't like he was getting squeezed by Blue. Awful, awful job by Seth Lugo. Then he brings in Blevins. Blevins throws a great curveball to get Bryce Harper swinging strike one. Tries it again. Harper holds off. Tries to sneak a fastball inside. Harper's just too good. Didn't kill it, but managed to find a hole between first and second base. Then he takes him out. Then he brings in A.J. Ramos, who, or rather, Ramos, rather, who, again, I didn't like it when the Mets traded for him last year. I didn't like anything. I don't like anything about him. I, I loved when he came in the game when he was on the Marlins against the Mets. I never, ever was afraid of A.J. Ramos, ever. I was always like, oh, great. Mets have a great chance now to either tie or take the lead here now that A.J. Ramos is in the game. He just doesn't have very good stuff, and he's a nibbler. And then you know why he's a nibbler? Because he knows he doesn't have good stuff. So he tries to rely on guts and guile, and good hitters are going to wear him out. You know, his fastball sits at about 91 miles an hour, and he tries to get people out with curveballs that he doesn't throw for strikes. He's just not very good. And so he comes in, he get, by dumb luck, he gets uh, Zimmerman out, who's, by the way, having an off to a horrendous start, literally hitting about 100. He gets him called on, on a called third strike that was borderline. Then he walks the next guy. So then Callaway panics, takes him out with two outs, brings a Familia. Familia gives up a little seeing eye base hit, and then he walks a guy. It was awful. Next thing you know, the Mets are down 7-6. And then Hansel Robles comes in for good measure to give up a home run to make the comeback effort that much more daunting. Now you're down 2 instead of 1 in the ninth inning. It's not like the Nationals have some great bullpen. It was their, it was their Achilles heel last year, and they traded for Doolittle and Madsen, and those guys were good for them last year, and Kinsler. The Mets have already hammered Kinsler this year. Doolittle gave up a home run the other day to lose them the game. And then Mets battered Madsen around, too, the other day. Their their bullpen is not lights out by any stretch. It's better than what it was, but it's not lights out. And Familia went from not thinking he was going to go in the game to now having to come in in the eighth inning with the bases loaded. It's a recipe for disaster. I'm sorry. I understand. He's your closer. He's your stud. He's supposed to get out of that situation. Yeah. Ideally, I'd love him to. But I'm not putting last night's game on Familia. Last night, that whole game changed with Seth Lugo walking Howie Kendrick on four pitches. Changed the whole tenor of that game. Again, we would have been better off giving up a three-run homer there. 
So last night, first crisis, if you will, in the Mickey Calloway era. The day before against the Brewers with Syndergaard looking dominant and striking eight guys in a row out at one point. The Mets, I believe, trailing, maybe leading one nothing. Second and third, two outs with Thomas Nido coming up, the backup catcher who can't hit. He pinches Jay Bruce. Nido's batting eighth. You know they're going to walk. Jay Bruce wasn't playing. He didn't start. You know they're going to walk whoever you put up there to get to the pitcher. So if you're going to do that, then you've got to pinch hit for Syndergaard with the bases loaded and two outs. But why would you waste Jay Bruce there? Because you know they're going to walk him. So that was dumb. And then he let Syndergaard hit for himself. But then when he gave up a hit the next inning, he took him out of the game. So not a particularly strong game from Callaway on Sunday either. But he got bailed out by Wilmer Flores hitting a walk-off home run with two outs and two strikes in the bottom of the ninth. So everybody forgets about that. We just wash that away. But look... I really want to like Mickey Callaway. And so far, again, I pointed out last week, there has been some accountability. They already did it again. They sent down uh, Robus and called up uh, Herson Bautista, the 100-mile-an-hour flamethrower who's very raw but has got great stuff. Uh, they called him up from AA. They got him in the Addison Reed trade last year with the Red Sox. One of the few out of the 17 relievers that Sandy Alderson traded for, he's one of the few that actually may be uh, may actually be uh, a promising prospect. So I w- I really like I, I want I love Callaway in his post game co- press conferences. Seems to have a really nice personality, nice way about him. You know, and again, it's it's they're 15 games into the season. It's not a crisis, but it'll be very interesting to see. Now, if Wheeler goes out there and lays an egg tonight, which unfortunately I suspect he will, uh, that's not on Callaway, obviously. But, I, I, you know, of course, as a Mets fan, you'd love to see them come and bounce back tonight. Although they're going against Gio Gonzalez, who gives them fits. So we'll see. Again, it was weird. It had the feel almost to it like, like last night, for some reason, was a playoff game even though it's mid-April. Although you never know it's mid-April because it's 42 degrees out right now. Yeesh. All right, now let's play a little Pepper, shall we? I don't know if anybody remembers Pepper. Probably those of you out there that are maybe 35 and older. Pepper was a game that you would play. If you played baseball, you get three guys and you throw throw the ball to a guy with a choked up bat and he would hit little one hoppers at, at, at guys sort of in a semicircle. And back in the day, if you, if you want to go on YouTube, some of you younger listeners out there, and go to YouTube and look at footage from old games from the 80s, you would always see no pepper uh, stenciled and spray painted uh, the backstop behind home plate. So we're going to call it playing pepper. We're going to take a little trip around the majors take a look at some of the more interesting storylines in this young baseball season and we're going to start with the Pittsburgh Pirates of all teams 11 and 5 out of the gates a team many thought were basically packing it in tanking if you will because they traded Andrew McCutcheon and they traded Garrett Cole Um, but and you know for prospects 
but some of their young guys that they've been waiting on, like Starlin, uh, like Sterling Marte, who was suspended last year for PEDs, and Gregory Polanco, who has shown signs but has been uh, wildly inconsistent, uh, and Josh Bell, their first baseman, those guys are all off to very nice starts. And they've gotten some decent pitching performances. Uh, Yvonne Champagne Supernova uh, has done, the former Yankee, has been pretty good for them. Um, and so Pirates are off to a nice start at 11-5. and five. Good for them. The other very interesting story, the Angels at 13-3 and three with the Shohei Otani signing. Uh, everyone made a big deal about it, right? He's a Japanese Babe Ruth. He can hit. He can pitch. Then he looked horrendous in spring training. Got beat up one day while pitching against like a Mexican league team. Um, and then came out and hit a home run in three, in three games, three out of like the first five games. And also pitched twice, has pitched twice. Now, granted, both times against the A's, who are not a very good lineup, but, you know, he's been in the high 90s on the radar gun and has pitched very well in two starts um, so far for the Angels. Plus, obviously, throwing, they've got Mike Trout. Justin Upton's having a very good year so far. Pujols is hitting for them. Um, Anderson Simmons, the former stud shortstop from the Braves, who the Angels got a couple years ago, he's off to a really nice start for them. So the Angels off to a really good start here at 13-3. and three. Uh, the Twins hanging in at seven and four. Cleveland's eight and six. Cleveland hasn't hit a lick. If you're the Indians or an Indians fan, don't worry. You know, again, all these teams that play the Northeast and the Midwest. I mean, we had what seven games called because of weather over the weekend. The Yankees haven't played a game in a week, it seems, because all their games against the Tigers were were, were a call due to inclement weather. They had a rain out on Friday. They were supposed to play a doubleheader on Sunday. They couldn't even play the doubleheader on Sunday. The weather was so bad. The Cubs played a game last week that they won. They were losing, I believe, 8-1 or 8-2 and came back and scored eight runs in the eighth inning with the, on the, uh, basically by getting three hits, three walks, and a hit, an error and a hit batsman. And after the game, Madden said, there's no way we should have played that game. It was like 33 degrees and wet, and it was awful. The weather has just been so bad. I mean, it's weird that weather would be like a storyline, but it is. It's been horrendous so far. Yankees won last night. They finally played a game. They were down in their, their, actually their home. But they played the Marlins, who are, as we know, an embarrassment. Um, Mariners off to a nice start at 9-5. and five, And that's without Nelly Cruz. Once Nelly Cruz comes back, watch out. But D. Gordon's done well for them, off to a good start. Their, their first 4-5 in that lineup is very good right now. D. Gordon, Gene Segura, Cano's off to a red-hot start. He's hitting 400. Uh, Mitch Hanniger, and then it would be Nelly Cruz, um, and uh, is it Corey Seager? It's one of the Seager guys. Not obviously not the one on the Dodgers. Hold on, timeout. Let me take a look. All right. It is Kyle Seeger, sorry. Corey Seeger, yes, is the uh, shortstop for the Dodgers. Kyle Seeger, third baseman for the Mariners. Um, all right, so Cano's down to 341. He's hitting 341. Gordon's hitting 322. Segura's 305. That's one, two, three in your lineup right there. 
right? Gordon 322, Segura 305, Cano 341. Seager 283, Hanniger 271, but Hanniger four home runs, 15 RBIs already, and Seager 3 and 11. So off to a nice start. Really good start. And this is without King Felix actually getting off to a great start for them, too. He is, well, he's 2 and 2, but yeah, I mean, what's the ERA? Yeah, 548. He's had a couple of stinkeroos already so far this year. So, and you, and you worry the walks are way up with him early on, and, and the strikeouts are way down. 21 innings, 8 walks, only 15 strikeouts. That's, that's not very King Felix ish. But, you know, he's, he's been around a long time now. He's not a, a spring chicken anymore. So interesting out there because, you know, basically everybody was ready to just give the Astros the division. And while they certainly look to still have a very strong team, particularly with their starting pitching with Keuchel and Verlander, who's been amazing already to start the year. Um, and then they got Garrett Cole and McCullers. Uh, you know, that's that's pretty good starting rotation obviously a really good everyday lineup um but uh you know they after a very hot start let's see what is the astros record they are 10 and 7 4 and 6 in the last 10 whatever again it's super early super early um and then in the national league obviously you got the mets Braves surprising people at 9-6. and six. Same thing with the Phillies. Not, I don't think either of those will last. Although the Braves are somewhat interesting because they do have a pretty good lineup. Uh, the pitching is suspect, but their lineup is actually pretty good. Um, the Nationals are 8-9. That's not going to last. they got to get healthy. Once they get healthy, I'm sure they'll start uh, hitting, scoring a bunch of runs. Um, and then the, AL, and the NL West, Diamondbacks off to a nice start at 11-4. Uh, Giants, bad start, 6-9. and nine. They're going to be without Bumgarner for a while. Dodgers, 6-9, uh, and nine, off to a very disappointing start. But again, it's early. It's early. And then, you know, you have teams, the Padres are terrible. The Reds are terrible at 3-13. and 13. Um, The Marlins are awful at 4-12. and 12. In the American League, the Rangers are 6-12. and 12. They, they're, they're, I mean, the lineup's not bad. They have no pitching. The A's are 7-10. and 10. They're not even trying. The Royals are awful at 3-11. and 11. White Sox are 4 I mean, you know, I usually know at least five guys on every team. I, I don't know anybody in the White Sox except for Breu, Moncada, uh, Tim Anderson, and I think Abisail Garcia. I mean, that's about it. That's all I know on that team. The Tigers are wretched at 4-9. and nine. Tampa Bay's a horror show at four and twelve. Orioles off to a terrible start at five and eleven. I mean, there's just there's a bunch of bad teams, like really bad. Listen, the other good thing if you're a Mets fan, Cespedes hasn't hit much at all. I mean, yes, he's got a couple game winning hits, and he's and he's and he's hit well with runners in scoring position, but I mean, he's hitting one ninety and he's striking out a ton. You have to think that that's going to turn around as well. So uh, we said it last week. There's plenty of room for improvement with the Mets. And we shouldn't let, you know, last night's game diminish what's been obviously a very good start. All right, we'll take a short break. We'll be back with the NBA right after this. 
And we are back on Jamal About Sports. Taking us out of the break, it's up to you by the specials. One of the uh, classic Sky albums and bands of all time. Throwing that one out there for my man Justin Rubin and my man Johnny Turpak. All right, NBA. So, we have got uh, tonight Washington, Toronto. Uh, talked about it last week. John Wall's your best player. You're never going anywhere. Uh, Toronto made a big deal about treating game one like it was game seven because they had been so poor uh, in recent past in game ones. Uh, took care of business. You know, Wall put up some big statistics. Didn't play very well down the stretch. And uh, Toronto came away with a win. They play tonight, 7 o'clock. Milwaukee, Boston, first game. Boston leads that series 1-0. That was a crazy game as well. Anton Tacupo played very well. Chris Middleton played very well. Uh, hit that crazy three to send the game in overtime after my guy Terry Rogier on a beautiful sort of uh, jab step, step back three where he lost Eric Bledsoe, uh, you know, shook him badly and then drilled the three, which looked like that was going to end the game. There was like 0.5 seconds left. Milwaukee called timeout inbound at a half court to Middleton from literally 30 feet, got it off just in the nick of time, I mean barely, to tie that game and send it to overtime, then the Celtics got it done in overtime. Look, Celtics, give them credit. I mean, I can't stand them, but you got to give them credit. You know, no Kyrie Irving, no Marcus Smart, but they still have good players. Look, Terry Rozier is a good player. I'd love to see him on the Knicks. Love it. Should be, I'd love it if he was the starting point guard. You know, the two young guys, Jalen Brown, year two, and Tatum, year one, they're good. I mean, I hate to admit it, but they're good. They're good players. You know, one at 19, one at 20 in their first playoff game. Pretty good. You know, Marcus Morris is, uh, is, a, is a pretty good scorer. Greg Monroe can give you, you know, 10, 12 solid minutes, low post scoring. It's a pretty, you know, even without two of their better players. I mean, Kyrie's their best player. Um, that's a good roster. Now, you know, Milwaukee's got to get more from, you know, guys like Jabari Parker, Henson. I mean, Middleton had a great game. Antetokounmpo had a great game. Bledsoe didn't play particularly well. Brogdon had a nice game, but that was it. They had three guys, played well. Everybody else had bad games for Milwaukee. They're going to have to do much better than that. And then you had New Orleans, Portland. Of course, I didn't see it. It was at, you know, it's again, it's on 1030 tonight. I mean, there's no way I'm going to watch that. <laughs> Maybe I'll watch the first quarter. But uh, from what I saw on the highlights and in the box score, Anthony Davis played out of his mind for New Orleans. And, you know, he's we've talked about him uh, on past shows. You know, if he's not a top five player in the NBA, he's certainly a top 10 player in the NBA. And they got a really good game from Drew Holiday. Rondo had 17 assists. You know, he didn't give him a ton of points, but that's not really his game. Rondo had, I'm pretty sure he had 17 assists. Um, And they were able to beat Portland. Portland's, you know, we talk about Portland all the time. As as their backcourt goes, that's how that team goes. And sure enough, McCollum and Lillard had bad games. I mean, you know, I think one was 6 for 23 and the other was like 8 for 19. I mean, they didn't shoot it well. You know, they got nothing from Alfarico Minu, you know, which happens. We talk about him. He, he's the X Factor. Generally, if the backcourt plays well and, 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 and Alamino has a good game, they, they win a lot of their games. 
but he did not play particularly well. He, he, he was pretty much non-existent. Um, and Nurkic didn't have much of a game, the center. So, you know, and, and meanwhile, it was still a close game. And then you had, you know, the big storyline, of course, was the Indiana basically blowing out the Cavs in game one in Cleveland. Um, LeBron, you know, in spite of LeBron's triple-double, or despite his triple-double, the Cavs were never really in the game. Uh, but the Cavs missed a ton of open shots. I, I do not expect that to continue. Oladipo played great for Indiana. Um you know, Lance Stevenson, who is, you know, I believe this is either his second or third go-around with the Pacers. I mean, he gets up for LeBron. Now, look, he's not as good as LeBron, not even close. But if he would actually play as focused <laughs> against the rest of the league the way he does against LeBron, he would he might be, actually be something. I mean, he's always been a talented player. Uh, but he played well. Um... And, you know, look, they didn't get anything from Kevin Love. They got nothing. I mean, look, I understand everybody just expects LeBron to just will that team into the finals, particularly because the the, Cavs, uh, the Celtics, rather, are without Kyrie Irving. Uh, not so fast. I mean, we do, do we know? Look, I like, I like Larry Nance Jr. You know, I remember his dad. He's tall like his dad. He can dunk like his dad. You know, he's a young guy. He's athletic. He runs around and tries hard. He hasn't been through the cauldron of the NBA playoffs. We know nothing about Larry, Nan- Larry Nance Jr. I like Rodney Hood. I liked him when he was on Utah. He hadn't been in many big games. I don't know if he's gonna, what he's going to do. And same with whoa, Jordan Clarkson's good. Why? Because he's put up a bunch of 25-point games on a terrible Lakers team when they were getting blown out by 20 points every other night. I mean, again, looks like a nice player, but we don't know anything about Jordan Clarkson yet when it matters in the playoffs. Now, Kevin Love, we know, can play, but he didn't have a very good game, game one. Same thing with J.R. Smith. He's obviously an X factor, right? He's had great playoff games. He's had stinkers. That's what you're going to get from J.R. Smith. And he actually played pretty well the other day. But, you know, they didn't show up. And the big problem with Cleveland is they can't stop anybody. They're going to have to outscore you. Their defense is bad. And that's been a problem for them all season. It was a problem before they made the big trade and brought in Nance and Clarkson. Oh, and George Hill, too. I mean, George Hill might be done. You know, he's not going to consistently give you a 15-point 10-assist game anymore like he used to. Or fifteen and eight, or thirteen and nine, or whatever. He's not. You're not getting that from George Hill anymore. And again, what are you going to get from Jordan Clarkson? You have no idea. Same thing with uh, Rodney Hood. You have no idea. And Larry Nance Jr. So, you know, again, I know everyone sees the name Cleveland and LeBron, and I get it. And there's not a bigger LeBron supporter than I am. But I would be shocked if they go down without a fight. They just got to make some shots, and they will. Uh, Golden State, San Antonio, that would appear at 2-0 Golden State. I mean, look, San Antonio gave them everything they, could ha- uh, everything they had last night, had, had a six-point lead at halftime, and then Golden State turned it on, and, and then that was that. 
you know, Durant and, and Thompson both had huge games, 31 and 29 points respectively, I believe. You know, they didn't even get a big game from, from uh, loudmouth Draymond Green. But, you know, if again, that's why we've said that about Golden State. You know, they still have enough without Curry to beat this, this Spurs team. This is a very unspurs Spurs team. Internal strife with the whole Kawhi Leonard thing. Um, you know, Aldridge had played a hell of a game last night. But it is just not the Spurs here. Now, I, 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 they, again, that's, that, that team's got too much pride, too much professionalism to go down and just lay down to, the, to Golden State. But it may not be a matter of that. Golden State just be, even without Curry, maybe just be that much better. You know, I mean, look at the look at the Spurs team right now. Their best player is Lamarcus Aldridge. He's a nice player. He's on a good team. Your third best player, right? Tony Parker's ancient. Ginobili's ancient. They can they still give you something in spurts? Yeah, but not extended minutes and sustained over forty eight minutes or thirty minutes. You know, nobody plays forty eight minutes, but you know what I'm saying. Four quarters. You know, and the rest of that team, like they're all good role players, but there's no stars, there's no studs on that team. And Popovich is a great coach, of course. Listen, I take him on the Knicks tomorrow. I mean, look, you give that Spurs roster to Jeff Hornacek, and this is not to knock Jeff Hornacek, but you would have gotten the Knicks this year. You would have gotten a 29 win team with that roster that the Spurs are trotting out there. Popovich willed that team to 47 wins. And that organization and his professionalism and the culture there, that's how they got 47 wins. That's not a great roster. I Look, I like Patty Mills as much as the next guy. He's a, he's a good backup combo guard. That's it. He's not a starting point guard. So, uh, I, you know, I don't think San Antonio is going to get swept, but they're just not that good. And then Houston, Minnesota, that was an interesting first game. So, you know, you got nothing from Carl Anthony Towns, a passive, very disappointing effort from him. Wiggins actually played pretty well, although he missed a big shot late. Butler did not give him a, a huge game. And they, they hung in there with Houston. Now, Houston, other than Harden, who was absurd, and I think had 41, they didn't play a great game either. Um, but that was an entertaining game, at least. And what else am I missing? Oh, Philadelphia and Miami. Philly looked like world beaters in game one, blew Miami out by about 30, and then came back down to earth last night. Miami, even that season, uh, that series, rather, one and one. So, so far, pretty good with the NBA playoffs. Pretty good. All right, and then lastly... As we talk NBA, the Knicks, they did fire Hornacek. Look, I've talked about it many times. I wanted Hornacek to be the guy. I respected him a ton and admired him a ton as a player. He was a hard-nosed player, a very good player. He was from my era. You know, you would think he would be a hard-nosed coach. You know, I don't know. His public persona was, was very calm. You know, he never raised his voice. He never threw temper tantrums. Always very polite for the most part with the media. Never got testy or defensive. 
Um, you know, I've there's obviously been stories behind the scenes. You know, he got into a big thing with uh, Joakim Noah. I uh, got into it, I think, last year with Porzingis at one point. I think he screamed at Willie Hernan Gomez a couple of times. But I think there was a, a sense last year that he went after the young guys, but he gave guys like Carmelo a pass. Now, that might be because that's the culture he grew up in, right? You know, he played for Jerry Sloan. Jerry Sloan probably never yelled at Hornacek. He probably never yelled at Stockton or Malone, but he probably gave the young guys a hard time. You got to earn your stripes. Maybe. I'm just, I'm, I'm reading into this. I have no idea. So maybe that's why. But, you know, it's different now. <laughs> I mean, whether we like it or not, man, guys are just different. you got to coach them differently. Now, you can be tough with them, but you kind of have to almost now explain to these young guys why you're being tough. Which not, I'm not saying is a bad thing. I'm just saying that's how it is. So, look, I don't know if Hornacek was, wasn't tough enough. You know, look, from a strategy standpoint, there were games there this year where the Knicks collapsed in the last three minutes of the game, and a lot of it looked like they just didn't know what the hell they were doing on the court, which doesn't not reflect well on the coach. Now, the flip side to that coin is you give Hornacek a top-quality point guard, and guess what? They probably look a lot better. <laughs> so... That, I'm not going to pretend that that was a good roster, but he did do some puzzling things. Playing, you know, guys like Kylo Quinn, major minutes, Michael Beasley. I mean, when the Knicks have nothing to play for, what are you doing playing these marginal veterans? It may, it's highly likely won't even be back with the team next year. Just play the young guys and be done with it. So he did a lot of puzzling things there. I thought he waited way too long to, to, to take Jared Jack out of the lineup. You know, good. Look, we talked about Jared Jack. Pro's pro. Solid dude. But, I mean, come on. You got to see what you got in these young point guards. So, I, I, I am not upset that the Knicks fired Hornacek. Um, but it certainly was not all his fault. So, anyway, you got to just move on. And the names that are being thrown out there, my man Dave Fisdale, I believe I talked about him last year. He was the guy that in the, in the, in the first round, it might have been the first game, but it was definitely the first round of the playoffs against the, the Spurs last year. Uh, there was a massive discrepancy as far as foul shot attempts for the Spurs in favor of the Spurs over the Grizzlies. And you know, he, he, he chronicled it in the postgame press conference. You know, said, ah, oh, you know, this guy, 10 attempts. This guy, 10 attempts. My guy, Conley, drives to the basket all the time, four attempts. You know, uh, Mark Gasol, one of the best low post centers in the league, you know, four attempts. You know, so-and-so. Went all down the list, and then he goes, how's that for data? And then got up and walked off the, uh, off the podium. It was fantastic. You know, because everybody's into data and analytics now. He's like, how's that for data? It was great. And he's got a good reputation. LeBron loved him when he was an assistant in Miami. But he did have this run-in with Marcus Gasol apparently this year, which ended up, led to him getting fired, I guess. You know, look, Memphis got off to a horrible start this year. Again, you can't name three guys on that team, right? Conley was hurt most of the year. You got Marcus Gasol, Tyreek Evans, who's back with them this year, and what, Jim Michael Green? I mean, uh, you know, not a very good team. So it was not his fault that the team was losing. They were going to lose anyway. But... Uh, by all accounts, highly respected and well-liked by a lot of players and stars. Wade loved him. LeBron loved him. 
you know, when he got fired by Memphis, LeBron's like, whoa, that's my guy. Like, he went to Twitter to defend him. So if he's good enough for LeBron, he's good enough for me. <laughs> okay. Uh, youngish guy. I think he's in his 40s. Um, seems to have, you know, the personality to deal with New York. Uh, he would be my first choice. The other option would be Jerry, is Jerry Stackhouse, who's apparently being interviewed. Guy, you know, very long career. Was a great college player. Very good NBA player. Started out as a good NBA player. Ended up as a role player, sort of savvy veteran off the bench late in his career. That was an assistant in the NBA for a while. Then decided to, to go be the head coach for the Toronto Raptors G League team. And he's had them in the championship back-to-back years, including this year. He's a high-riser. Very highly thought of as, a, as, as an up-and-comer in the coaching ranks. That, to me, would be an interesting, out of, out, a bit outside-the-box hire. And then you've got, you know, the obvious name, Mark Jackson, played for the Knicks, New Yorker, had some success as a head coach with Golden State, still around the game because he's an announcer. Eh, I, I, I think that's a lazy move, frankly. And by the way, I, I never thought I'd say this, but... I mean, the more I hear him on his telecast, the less I like him. And, you know, he had some issues, too, in Golden State. Now, look, he took that team from a bad team to being a playoff team, and then he left and Kerr came in, and then the next thing you know, they're in the finals and winning the finals. Uh, He apparently clashed with some front office people there in Golden State. Apparently didn't want to change much, a little too rigid, too set in his ways. You know, look— would I hate it if the Knicks signed Mark Jackson? No, because it's, you know, again, I, I, there's the romantic angle, right, aspect to it because he played for the team and he's a New Yorker. But, you know, we just had some nostalgia of nostalgia move that set this team back five years with Phil Jackson. So, again, you got to take emotion out of it sometimes. <laughs> to me, Fizdale or Stackhouse should be the higher. And then the other guy is going to be David Blatt. They're going to look at former Cavaliers coach who, by all, for all intents and purposes, LeBron probably ran out of there. Now, they happen to have the best record in the NBA, and he was known as being a great coach overseas, I think particularly uh, for the Israeli team in, in, um, in European basketball or international basketball. Um, went to Princeton with Steve Mills, the president of the Knicks. Um, so there's obviously a, a comfort level there and a familiarity there. Uh, again, I, it's hard for me to judge. I, I don't know enough about the guy. Right? His record was very good in the NBA. He also had a really good team. You know, to me, look, the Knicks aren't going to be good for at least another two years. You want a young coach who's going to establish a culture and a mindset that starts on the defensive end, right? I mean, Hornacek talked about it a lot, but I felt like it was lip service. You know, and the guy who's going to hold guys accountable be a pain in the neck about playing defense. The Knicks got plenty of guys that could score the ball. Not plenty. They have enough. When Porzingis comes back, Hardaway, Burke, um, you would. Th- I mean, not that Nilakina is going to be a great scorer, but you think he certainly will improve. Uh, Cantor can certainly score. I mean, they, they, they got guys that could score. They got to get tough. There's no toughness on that team. They got to play defense. I mean, I understand Ennis Cantor is is physically limited, 
right? He's not he's not blessed with tremendous foot speed. He should be a better defender because he he'll want to play defense. Want to is not the issue with him. He should be a little better than he is, frankly. They got to get somebody who coaches defense and holds them accountable. And just in general, I mean, the organization has been a joke for so long. And look, I don't know that anybody could save this team with Dolan as the owner. That's the, that's the, that's the elephant in the room. With an owner as bad as Dolan, can anybody be good? Can anyone succeed in that environment? No one really has. Think about it. The best season they had was with Mike Woodson, and they lost in the second round to the Pacers. That's the best season they've had since Dolan officially took ownership of the Knicks. The rest of it has been a mess. And they've had some good players. Some of the guys from the Isaiah Thomas era went on to be very good players for other teams. David Lee, Trevor Ariza, even Nate Robinson showed up on the Bulls a couple of times as a bench player late in the year on playoff teams as a scorer off the bench. So, I mean, that's really the issue. And so now, will Dolan keep his nose out of it, let Mills and Perry do their thing, and not go chase the new shiny toy or the big splash name hire like Mark Jackson? And will you try to actually build something? And it, it doesn't necessarily have to take six years. But if you're a Knicks fan, would you sign up for, if not next year, but the year after, they won 45 games and made the playoffs and had, a, a, and had built, had a nucleus? Yes, you would take it in a second. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. As always, thanks for listening. Check us out on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Instagram, Jamal About Sports, and, of course, on Twitter, at Jamal About Sport No S. Until next week, enjoy all the sports. Thanks for listening. Peace out.